0: Albert Einstein took a break from physics long enough to say, common sense is the collection of prejudices acquired by age 18.
1: The poet Sylvia Plath once remarked, I love people, everybody, I love them, I think, as a stamp collector loves his collection. Every story, every incident, every bit of conversation is raw material for me.
0: And author Mackenzie Finkley commented, often the story of an artifact's journey is more remarkable than the object itself.
1: I'm Lynn Miller,
0: and I'm John Modaf, and this is the Unruly Muse.
1: Hello, John.
0: Have you collected your thoughts for today's podcast?
1: I know I'm quite intrigued by our theme of collecting.
0: Yes, and of course we both bump around the world for weeks between shows, thinking about the theme and. A bunch of sayings and common places come to mind.
1: Stamp collecting.
0: Coin collecting.
1: Collecting cobwebs.
0: Collecting dust.
1: Closets full of clothes with price tags on.
0: Car collecting.
1: Collected works.
0: Hoarders and hoarding.
1: Compulsive shopping.
0: Collector's item.
1: Antique collecting.
0: Butterfly collecting.
1: Beer can and wine bottle collecting.
0: Calm, cool, and collected.
1: And the stories we keep.
0: Some train blows She remembers her mama Describe a flim flaming man And how he took her soft i yeah. Goes where a lamp always glows far away from the dark.
1: So, John, I enjoyed Frony's Museum. You know, we tend to think about collecting as things. Humans are terrified of disappearing, and so collecting is kind of a way to stave off mortality for some people in an unconscious way, perhaps. But collecting memories or wonderful moments in your life isn't the same at all. It is nurturing and satisfying, and it's not obsessive in the way that having to have every new gadget is.
0: Right, and they're certainly precious because there is no physical counterpart to a recollection of a story or an experience. It's just the thing you keep. You really do keep it, and you also manage it in a way. You curate it, and it's deliberate. That's the thing that helped me sort out the difference between say, merely hoarding something or ending up with a lot more spoons than you ever expected. <laughs> you know, just, you know, that, that's a collection of spoons, but you didn't collect them on purpose. And it's the things that we deliberately gather and keep um, that would have to include the stories and the experiences from our life. And that brings us smoothly into our first poem for the show today, On Collecting, and that is how people take what someone keeps as a clue.
1: Yes. The first poem is The Invisible Woman by Julie Williams, whom we have performed twice before on the show. And I asked her for her genesis, and here's what she said. There are so many different circumstances that can render a person invisible. This piece of writing came out of the moment I started wondering what set of circumstances might make invisibility a good thing. So here we have The Invisible Woman at the Circus by Julie Williams. For years she sat there in her magenta tent
0: and watched as they searched for her
1: high and low
0: commenting occasionally
1: Imagine that. She reads poetry.
0: Oh, and look, a pile of murder mysteries from Japan.
1: They looked at strands of dark hair.
0: In a brush the size of tiny emerald slippers.
1: She loved that she could consume great quantities of food.
0: And no one ever said, Shouldn't Shouldn't you consider consider going going on
1: on a diet, diet, my my dear?" dear? Truth be told, it was a good gig.
0: Until the day they realized they could rig up speakers,
1: play tapes,
0: and do it without her.
1: The circus had been her home since birth and before.
0: And now she must hit the road.
1: Independence shattered the first time she stuck out her thumb.
0: And the vehicles roared on by.
1: She became a writer of of
0: course. course. What other employment is there
1: for an invisible woman torn away from from the the hustle hustle and bustle bustle of of the big top. top? Well, that's marvelous, Julie. Thank you so much for this poem.
0: And it's an interesting twist on the observation you made earlier about people collecting things to endure over time because the collection is proof that you were there. And that operates in this poem in an interesting way. The invisible woman who they're coming to see is made evident by her things.
1: Exactly. Her collection that she leaves behind is what defines her to them. It's not what defines her. The backstory of the poem is what's so interesting, too, is that she's been doing this for years, performing as an invisible. Yes. And it makes me wonder does she each week change out what she leaves there? Does she? sweep up the strands of dark hair and put in another color hair or socks um mm-hmm. what what does she do does she leave behind a table a plate a fork maybe a muffin <laughs> what does she leave? Or some crumbs, yeah. Yeah, what does she leave out as a trail of breadcrumbs to her existence?
0: Well, see, you wouldn't need a full-timer for that job, and it's a shame she was replaced by technology in this case. And she manages a, a new angle on the circus. That's the stability for this person. That place of the circus even where she is in, invisible professionally, or professionally invisible. Now that the circus doesn't need her anymore, she loses her independence. Now, hitting the road by herself, she felt something new there that... Folks just didn't care as much.
1: Well, also she sticks out her thumb, and the vehicles roar by. They don't pick her. Nobody stops to pick her up. So yes. she, in a way, feels more invisible than she ever has before.
0: From the lion's roar to the vehicles roaring on by. It's so sad. Yeah. And I would. I'd started to get teared up there, but her wit emerges in the next two lines. She became a writer, of course. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, writing is such a great way to hide. Uh, Even though other people think when you're writing, you're revealing yourself all the time. I guess that's true too. But you also can reinvent yourself all the time and create new characters and have total control over what happens to them.
0: It's a little deeper and a little bit more heartfelt to say she became a writer, of course, because that's what she'd been doing.
1: Right. And she was really creating a theatrical experience for the audience by staging where the invisible woman lives and what is there that defines her. There's a whole genre of poems, stories, plays dealing with visibility and invisibility for women.
0: Levels of this poem, The Invisible Woman at the Circus, are fun to explore and very rewarding, so thank you for that. Well, The Invisible Woman is replaced by a highly visible woman in our next piece by Lindsay Miller called Archival Footage. Can you give us a little bit of a preview?
1: I'll say just a little bit about this because we're performing the beginning of the story and the end of the story, so I don't want to say too much about the middle, mm. um, but th- this story was inspired after my mother died five years ago, and I started thinking about how we remember the important people in our lives. So I'll just say that for now.
0: Archival footage by C. Miller.
1: Here we go down the rabbit hole again, Audra thought as she unpacked several boxes of manuscripts over a hundred years old.
0: The University Research Library, where she worked, had recently acquired a rare cache of a reclusive woman writer's papers, much of it fragile.
1: This sensation of diving down into the unknown struck her every time she dug into a new acquisition and passed through the doorway into another world.
0: She often emerged in a stupor. Dazed as if from time travel, wondering where she might be, submerged in other lives and other times, the journey through each archive changed her.
1: Sometimes she feared there was no going back.
0: In college, studying library science, Audra had immersed herself in archives as she interned at a well-known research center for 20th century writers. She liked placing old letters in their transparent protective wrappers, sorting through boxes of rare manuscripts, poring over early drafts of someone's masterpiece.
1: An archive was a repository of materials that opened a window into a life. But then one day it occurred to her how archives were, in the end, just a convenient way of ordering things.
0: Memory itself was an archive. Who you were depended upon what and how you remembered each day. Material got added. Other details dropped away from lack of use.
1: The idea obsessed her. She began making lists. First the ten most important things that had ever happened to her, then the fifteen most memorable.
0: When that wasn't enough, she taped big sheets of paper together and placed the huge rectangle on the ground, making outlines about these events, adding details so that the paper looked like a forest of Edward Gorey trees, little lines of print extending out in spidery waves.
1: A Lewis Carroll commemorative exhibition mounted at the library suddenly took on new meaning for Audra.
0: The rabbit hole became personal, an opening that landed you into a place that once made up your life, or your ancestor's life, or somewhere that you dreamed.
1: And each world led to another as you ventured further into the labyrinth of possibility.
0: Or sometimes limitation. An archive made one seem larger than life. How then was it different from the accumulation of wealth, say, or things acquired that shielded many people from their mortality?
1: After Audra's mother died, when Audra cleaned out her house, she'd found that parting with any of her possessions had been wrenching.
0: Each piece of furniture, her clothes, treasured pieces of pottery and art, All had seemed to insulate her mother when she'd been alive.
1: Now these objects expanded her presence beyond herself.
0: Audra's mother had not been able to get pregnant until her early 40s. She and Audra's father, who was 10 years older, had been delighted to have a daughter.
1: At various times in her life, Audra noticed how her mother had labored over her piles of scrapbooks, compiling notes about ancestors and their immigration to America.
0: Leaving an account behind for the next generation for Audra and for the children of her mother's sisters.
1: So that she wouldn't disappear.
0: Audra appreciated all these leavings when her mother died at the age of 86, but she liked to think that many other things lived on about her mother.
1: Elusive things like her touch and smell, the young girl's sound of her laughter,
0: her way of spontaneously sashaying around the kitchen,
1: often leading Audra along with her as they glided across the floor, occasionally bumping into cabinets, when
0: she cooked.
1: These moments lived on in the archive about her mother Audra had been building all of her conscious life.
0: On the second anniversary of her mother's death, Audra stayed home from work.
1: She collected all the letters and memorabilia, the scrapbooks, the scads of photos, and her own diary jottings about her mother.
0: Sitting in the middle of the floor, she spread these things around her, including a black mesh evening bag.
1: Very 1940s.
0: Which she'd kept when she'd cleaned out her mother's house.
1: Because of her father's long stint abroad in military service during their courtship, her parents had been separated for almost a year before marrying. Audra opened a pile of letters her mother had saved during those long months.
0: My dearest Dorothy, I miss every inch of your beautiful self. I hear your voice echoing through your letters, warm, earnest. If only you were laughing right beside me.
1: Audra had never seen this tender side of her father. She felt like an interloper witnessing his youthful longing.
0: As a teenager, Audra had often been embarrassed by her parents' obvious affection for each other.
1: Now, holding this proof in her hands, she realized how lucky they had been.
0: Like a musical score, the notes sang with sound and feeling.
1: She was touched by clippings her mother had saved about her daughter's high school achievements, roles in school plays, editorship of the yearbook, the award as best all-around student in her senior year.
0: Who now cared about this young Audra as her mother had, lovingly building the record of the daughter in whom she'd placed so many hopes and ambitions?
1: Audra realized that a part of her own life had disappeared when her mother died.
0: Reaching for the teenage diaries that recorded her agony at her parents' stodginess, as she labeled it then, she found she had no appetite for reading them.
1: Not now, surrounded by the vivid presence of the mothers she had come to treasure. Instead, she put aside a few of her mother's notes and clippings to show her friend Haley.
0: Her friend had loved Audra's mother, fascinated by stories of Dorothy's wide-ranging travels after the isolation of growing up on a farm in Wisconsin.
1: The three of them played cards and board games together in the late afternoons after she and Haley got out of school. Audra remembered Haley and Dorothy throwing their arms in the air during rummy games.
0: I'm out. One of them would crow while the other giggled and mock-threatened.
1: Just wait.
0: When Haley was nine, she looked around the table with her pixie smile. Three's not a crowd. It's a perfect
1: circle. Haley had more than once told Audra in the last year what a wonderful companion she'd found Dorothy to be.
0: Audra now recognized. That her mother had been just that, lively, attentive, and funny, engaged by others but not allowing herself to be swallowed up by them.
1: Absorbing the many photographs and letters, Audra scanned party invitations and concert programs.
0: The papers dry and brittle in their plastic sleeves. She held her mother's much-loved garnet ring in her palm and then slipped it onto her right hand.
1: The stone radiated warmth and comfort.
0: It settled so comfortably onto her finger that her hand seemed fuller and stronger.
1: She heard her mother's approval in her mind. All right, then.
0: The hours passed.
1: The day darkened outside the windows.
0: Audra felt contained as the archive deepened around her.
1: Alive, shifting like the desert sands, it seemed at times too hot to touch, at others reshaping the imprints of what had gone before.
0: Audra sensed the edges of her life lapping against the edges of those of her family.
1: Her friends and all the lives she had touched, one one archive archive leading leading to to another, another, interspersing into a giant tapestry of living,
0: striving,
1: dreaming,
0: A wonderful image there at the end of the day that she spent really swimming through this world that she'd never completely appreciated, yet she'd lived so close to it.
1: I was struck as we were reading this about how the archive contained Audra at the end.
0: And that word contained is so interesting because it includes a sense of swaddling and Mm -hmm. being kept, but also entailment.
1: And in a way, Audra felt collected, didn't she? She felt collected into her mother's archive by being contained also. I mean, that's kind of an interesting word.
0: And while she goes through these things, these objects imbued with meaning, that brings up the archive of her mind, those things that she has kept in mind, the moments like dancing in the kitchen. And they work back and forth like that, like like an engine or a dynamo where one spins and then the energy of the other gets wound up. And it's really nicely done that professionally she does this, but that she can still be so vulnerable to materials is pretty impressive. You know, there's, there's something really not stodgy, but sturdy about her that, you know, she still takes pleasure in going through what to some people might just be rubbish.
1: And there's such a double meaning, isn't there, in the sense of archive because archives are great collections made up of little collections or big collections and they're studied and for the secrets that they reveal I think it's like the invisible woman at the circus there are secrets revealed by what we collect or what we leave behind and I think it's it's like reading a book you read 30 years ago you see it differently. So when you have a collection or an archive, each time you look at it or sort through it, you get a new meaning from it. Yes. This story is the first story in my new collection, The Lost Archive, which will be appearing in April this year.
0: Well, congratulations. And who's publishing that?
1: University of Wisconsin Press.
0: Not too shabby.
1: Yeah, thank you. And
0: I see you gave them a mention in the story. Good. That's nice how that works out. Is that like product (laughs) placement? (laughs) I hear someone at the door.
1: Scratching for food. We better take our feed the cat break. (laughs) have been listening to The Unruly Muse. I'm Lynn Miller.
0: And I'm John Modaff. And we both thank you.
1: Yes. And we're headed into our second poem for the episode, which is by Jack Cooper, whom we've performed before. And it's called Suddenly My Life.
0: Well, what does he say about how this poem came about?
1: He says, this poem looks back at a time in the early 2000s when I realized that my writing life had begun to transition from atmosphere to cybersphere. You might say a time that seemed to reward electronic information over real-life inspiration, threatening to cause my mind to disconnect from nature and childhood memories.
0: Suddenly My Life by Jack Cooper
1: Suddenly my life has begun to outpace itself.
0: Hyperactive ones and zeros.
1: Overwhelming my understanding.
0: Electronic interpretation of my senses,
1: masquerading as true experience,
0: my engineered, engineered self, floating free from prehensile distinction,
1: as if wild energies were pulling me loose,
0: from the tether of inner life,
1: my thoughts slowly turning
0: into showy but useless objects,
1: collections of pretty gym cracks.
0: And the buried treasure and dark matter
1: Of memories left behind like hobos
0: Knocking for food at the kitchen window
1: I wonder if I want to get used to
0: This diet of incidental data Spoon-fed to my my frontal lobe I grew up in a house that is no longer there
1: But for a sempiternal region of the mind
0: where crusty calyxes of eucalyptus
1: Begged to be picked up and thrown
0: Scattering sparrows like laughter
1: A little black dog runs back and forth at the fence
0: And a boy could spend all day
1: Wondering why clouds have to have names And where, where all, all the, the trains, trains go. go Wow, John, that's really food for thought.
0: It sure is, and it's... A little bit ominous in that we might be collecting some things that we wouldn't choose to, just simply by exposing ourselves to the world of the screen. Mm-hmm. Those things are piling up. Even if we don't hoard them on purpose, I think, is his point. It's, it's, it displaces other things that we've collected and might even rub them out or push them out.
1: I love this line, "...and the buried treasure and dark matter of memories left behind like hobos." knocking for food at the kitchen window. Memories as dark matter, that's so interesting, and the sense of, in a way, being disconnected from the very objects and thoughts that keep us grounded.
0: We like to perceive of consciousness as limitless because it really has no boundary to where it can go, but it's a different question on how much it can keep and how much we really have room to manage. You know, is there an optimal amount of space for our collected stories and our collected experiences that we want to savor and when we let so much in at such a rate and and it's all so what does he call it pretty gym crack, that we let these things in there, these useless objects into our minds.
1: Yeah, well, it's like we're out of control with our archive. We can't even order the archive anymore because there's new stuff coming in at us from every direction all the time.
0: That line does really set up the the picture he lays for us, but it ends, as our first poem does, with a little bit of hope, maybe even more hopefully, that he can still remember the questions and the simplicity and the pleasure and the slower pace and what it provided to him when he was much younger.
1: A boy could spend all day wondering why clouds have to have names and where all the trains go.
0: The burden of collecting is expressed in this poem.
1: We're untethered by this burden of constant energies, the wild energies.
0: Right, it's it's too much. And so that's a little bit of the negative side of collecting. We've emphasized the good side of keeping pleasant stories and memories and people and those we've lost alive. In some cases, people are collected. Yes. And that is the issue in our second song called Your Wall. Their knees get weak for you You wear your soul
1: I found your wall fascinating, John. You're right. We haven't discussed one of the Gothic qualities of collecting, which is how people can be collected. And many people do that.
0: It started with seeing heads mounted on a wall, not human heads, but, you know, creatures, deer and elk and so forth. And, and that sort of collection of complete dominion. Yeah. And then I got to thinking about people who might hang hearts of others that way on their walls, achievements, notches on their belt, as it might be, or just the reign of terror of their interpersonal life and those who have fallen under their sword. That got me thinking about the person who managed to avoid being collected in that way, and that's where the narrator came from in this song.
1: And there are certainly people out there romantically who collect other people. They want more and more intimate relationships. Nothing is ever enough. The old thing about, you know, a notch on your belt, scoring, all of that about collecting encounters. And socially, there are people like that, too. They have to have more and more people around them. And to say, look, I'm important. I have a big, big house. I have 15 cars. I have this, that, and the other. And the other, the free spirit says... I don't need those things. I'm fine as I am.
0: I guess the the challenge then is to find that balance between no collecting at all, keeping nothing and keeping just enough to do the best things that collecting can do for us.
1: I think that's what's so fascinating about this theme of collecting. It's There's so many levels to it. There's so many ways that it's a healthy grounding thing, and then there are so many other ways that it, can, it has a sinister side or a funny side.
0: What's the most uh, amazing collection of artifacts that you've seen?
1: Well, one of the things that inspired archival footage, the story, was when I went to the Harry Ransom Center at UT and saw the most magnificent 150th anniversary archive of Alice in Wonderland. It was all about Lewis Carroll and how he had created his infamous story of Alice through the Looking Glass and the others. And just all the book covers that it inspired and the drawings and illustrations and his own illustrations and subsequent illustrations. And, I mean, it was really uh, just an enchanting exhibit of room after room of Alice memorabilia. And it, yes. it just made me feel like a kid again. Well, how about you? What's What's the most amazing collection or archive you've ever seen.
0: Well, of course, I've been in a fair number of museums, but I was thinking along the lines of the sort of stuff people have in sheds and out on back porches. Yes. And tucked away in drawers. And my father-in-law has a fabulous collection of old tools from decades and decades ago, hand tools. Some of them you can recognize immediately, but others need an explanation. And I've seen other people, of course, who have amazing bottle collections and beer can collections. and. Then there's always the treasured one, you know, the one that's in its own protective covering.
1: Well, here's a thought, and that is to notice, what do people in their houses put a frame around? What do they feature on their fireplace? Or do they have a shelf where they have a collection of something? It makes me um, terribly curious about... How do we mark the things that have that level of importance? That's something perhaps to leave our listeners with today.
0: It is certainly an enchanting topic, collecting things. And I've enjoyed going through the pieces and talking it over. And speaking of enchantment... I believe we're headed that way in our next podcast.
1: Yes, we're going to look at what is magic, which was suggested to us by one of our listeners, Paul Galindo, and that will be very interesting to explore.
0: Yes, we'll cast a spell or two.
1: But meanwhile, you can go to our website, theunrulymuse.net, and check out the show notes for this show and other shows. You can listen to any of our shows there, or you can go to places like Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from our listeners.
0: Yes, it's wonderful to hear what people think and also what tends to happen when they listen to the show and their minds are set off in directions that they otherwise might not have gone. That's really nice to hear.
1: Absolutely. I'm Lynn Miller. And I'm John Modaf, And this has been The Unruly Muse.